This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I'm thankful today and, and so blessed to be here uh, to preach this morning because it was one year ago today that I, uh, that I had my second cancer surgery down at MD Anderson, went through recovery, have had a whole year of that and have been fully cleared of all that. So I am rejoicing in the Lord today. Thank you. God is so good. I feel healthy, feel strong, ready to go. Besides that, my kids have two grown daughters, and my wife sent me on a golf trip to Florida last week. As a golf fan, it doesn't get much better than that. Of course, Joyce went with me. She had to go and lay out in the sun while I was golfing and uh, having that. But for those golf fans, I was able to go on Sunday to the Bay Hill Invitational in Orlando, Arnold Palmer's tournament, saw the last round of that played a little bit of golf myself, and then was, we drove up to uh, Jacksonville area, and I saw the first round of the Players' Championship on Thursday, which is one of the big five golf tournaments of the year. So for my reward of going through all the cancer and the treatments and everything last year, the kid says, Dad, you need to be blessed. So they sent me on a vacation of a lifetime. So uh, we just got back, and so if I'm a little groggy this morning, smell a little suntanny, uh, that's because we were in Florida, and so had a great time doing that. How many, have ever, how many have ever been on one of those dream vacations? You know what I mean? You guys talk, still talk about, think about it? Yeah, now I lost half of you because you're going to be thinking about that while I'm preaching. Uh, how many have been on one of those opposite vacations, though? What, it could go wrong. It went wrong, Right. And uh, I was reflecting back on that, and I remember as a teenager, uh, my, my dad always took off around July 4th, and we grew up in Pennsylvania. And uh, we, we were going on a vacation to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. It's a famous beach getaway for the Northeast, and a lot of people went there. They didn't have many places to stay, hotel-wise, and my dad did not make reservations. How many know where this is going already, Right. And so we get there Friday night, he didn't make reservations, and we're trying to check in, and man, we went from hotel to hotel. Anyhow, we checked out all of them. None of them were, had any vacancy for Friday night. They had some from Saturday through the next Friday, but not on Friday night. So we were left without a place to go. And the last place, finally, I went in with my dad and was saying, man, isn't there just some place you can send us or take us or bring us in? You know, don't you see my family out there? Three, two sisters and us, you know. They didn't have any sympathy at all, no rooms. And she said, but there is a state campground just around the corner, two miles up and around. You guys can probably get a place there. So we drove up around the, the, uh, the bend and there was the state campground. And for eight bucks, we got a campsite for the night. Now we pulled in there and there's all these beautiful RVs. There's these beautiful camp. There's this beautiful tent set up. And then there's us in a Buick. <laughs> and we pulled into our campsite and we, we were there in this little campsite area with our Buick. Two teenage, two, three teenagers, two sisters and myself, two older sisters and my parents in the Buick. And so we were there and it's near the swampland, near the ocean. And so when we rolled the windows down, this is before you had AC in your cars, remember that? And we had to roll, crank our windows, windows down. We did that so we get fresh air. But it also brought in mosquitoes. Now I'm, I'm exaggerating, they weren't that big. They were, they were mosquitoes, all right? I mean, they were, they were big mosquitoes. So they came in and you were just, you couldn't go to sleep because you were all over you, smacking you. So I took advantage of that as the younger brother and there was mosquitoes all over my sisters. 
<laughs> Anyhow, uh, so we were there, and so you had a choice. Roll the windows up, suffocate to death, roll the windows down, get bit by mosquitoes. So I remember what that trip, and we had several other trips that we would talk about all the time as kids, and we get together, and our girls as well, that just didn't go well. And so when you look at a trip like I just came off of, I'm just so grateful for where God's goodness is. The whole time it wasn't about the golf. It wasn't about the sunshine. It was about what God's doing in my life. I was thanking God for the day. Every day I woke up and said, God, thank you for today. Thank you for my healing. Thank you I get to experience this at this time. Because last year, we were in Florida around the same time when we got that diagnosis that I had severe cancer and aggressive cancer in my arm, cancer in my forehead. And I thought, what a difference a year makes. This year, rejoicing, relaxing. I just took it all in, relaxed a little bit more was a little bit calmer, was a little bit more refreshed in my spirit. Today I'm going to talk to you about something that I, I have struggled with periodically throughout my, my walk with the Lord and in life in general. It's how to live content in a discontent world. I actually taught this in a class a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to expound on it a little bit more today for us as a congregation. But we live in a world where discontentment is all around us. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you got to have more. The bigger, the better, and everything else that's out there. I don't know how the younger generation does it today because it's all in front of them that they need to have those things, and they need to have it now. What took us a lifetime to achieve, the younger generation wants it immediately, right now. And so there's, there's something that God does in our lives and through our lives, and when we learn to be content in a discontented world, there's a growth that God does in us and through us. Helps in our marriage. Helps in our job situation. Helps in our health situation. Maybe you're believing God for a promise. Something that you, you're believing God for and you haven't seen it just yet. And you get a little, little weary of it. You get a little frustrated, a little unhappy, a little discontented. Anybody ever been there? You're believing God for your marriage maybe to change or your finances to change or maybe a health situation. Or just life in general. You just feel, I am so frustrated and so unhappy all the time. Why am I like that? Even when you get the new car... How many know before you get the new car or the new truck, you're dreaming about it and you're thinking about it and that new car and that new truck smell? You know what I'm talking about, right? Nobody, I mean kids, nobody has food in this for at least a month, you know, or two months. Second, third weekend, everybody's eating hamburgers in the back. It smells like McDonald's already, right? And also you get discontented and you want the next, and all of a sudden you should, the next model comes out and you go, oh, I should have waited. The next model, the discontented spirit brings unsettledness to all places. Now let's look at what the Apostle Paul says about discontentment and being content in all areas of our lives. Let's look at Philippians 4.11. says, I have, what do you say? I have what? Learned in whatever state I am to be content. How many know being content is a learned thing for many of us? As a guy who's struggled in this area of being content most of my life, I had to learn to be content or I'm going to be dissatisfied with everything and anything around me. So it's a learned thing. Paul had to learn to be content. In fact, he was writing while he was in prison these words. He was in prison, apostle of God. He was proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and he's in prison. He says, I learned even in prison to be content. How many know he was called to preach, but he was in prison? He says, I learned when I had a lot to be content. I learned when I didn't have a lot to be content. 
Contentment doesn't mean we don't have dreams. Contentment doesn't mean we don't have goals. Contentment doesn't mean we're not believing God for a miracle in our lives or some things to take place. It means that I'm going to trust God before I get him. Does everybody catch that? We can still have dreams. We can still have goals. We can still have ambitions. We can still believe the promises of God. But where we are today, we need to learn how to be content where we are so that when God blesses us with the next, guess what? We're thankful there as well. That's what contentment is. It's trusting God along the way. Trusting God's got my back. Trusting God is growing me in the times when I need to learn those lessons of contentment. It's trusting the Lord. It goes like this. It's having the right attitude. It says, I'm, I'm believing God for my new house, but right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to what? I'm going to accept where I am today. I'm going to trust God for it. I'm believing God. However, right now, I'm going to take care of the home I'm at. I'm going to believe God for the next thing in my life. So this is one of the things Joyce and I struggled with or I struggled with earlier uh, in our marriage is the first seven years we rented and leased and we were saving up money and we were pastoring in two small little churches as youth pastors, and uh, we weren't getting paid much at the time, and so it was a struggle for us to make ends meet. And so we said, man, we'd love to have a house someday. And so we were putting nickels and dimes together, and we were trying to get that first house. Finally, we said, all right, we think we have enough money. Let's go out searching for our first new house. Remember those days? First house, you got excited. Well, we got this realtor, and every weekend that we had off, we were out looking at homes. I mean, for months, I was waiting for my wife to say, this is the one. This is no lie. I'm not even exaggerating. We looked at 100 homes. Now, God's working on me. Remember, discontent. I was going to buy the second one, the third one, the fourth one. I was ready to just move in. Come on, let's get this decision made. Let's move. Come on, next next step, you know. And so God's working on me. I'm going like, I even told Joyce, this is the last weekend. I mean, I cannot do this anymore. We're going to make it. So she goes, no, I'm just praying the right one's going to be there. You know, and we've gone through all these houses. Our realtor was getting frustrated with us. Will this couple ever make a decision? And so I remember us pulling up this little Cape Cod. I think it was like 1,500 square feet, if that. And it sat on the corner of a neighborhood, which school district we liked. And we pulled into the driveway. And this is no lie. Joyce goes, this is the one. I went one, 99 homes before. You walked through them, had to do it. You didn't even walk in. This, oh, how does this, the one? She goes, oh, this is the one. This is the one God has for us. So she walked through it. Said, and she walked out and said to the realtor, this is the one. That's fine. Right here, right now. I think we spent less than $90,000 for this little Cape Cod. It had one of those galley kitchens. You know what a galley kitchen is? That means only one person can be in it at the same time, you know? And so, because you walk sideways, you bump into the person. If you open one drawer here, you can't open the other one because they'll, they'll clash. I mean, it was that small. We had a bath and a half, you know, half down, and all four of us were sharing a bath upstairs. And so, Right away, it was the cutest little thing, though. Cute Cape Cod sat in the corner. So we decorated it up. We put new windows in. We did all that we could. We did what we needed to do while we were there, believing, though, God had something else for us. Anybody know that? I, I, we always call it the someday. Someday, that's where we're going to be. But why can't we enjoy the now and where we are before the someday's come? Someday, I'm going to have that new car. Someday I'm going to have that new house. Someday that promise is going to come about. But in the meantime, we've got to, what did Paul say? We need to learn how to be content. That's not easy for a lot of us. 
In fact, in the Bible, we're going to look at David's life real quick here. And uh, we're going to look at what, what happened in his life as the prophet Samuel was, was challenged by God. So God gave Samuel an assignment. He said, Samuel, Saul's now the king. But I don't like the way things are going right now, so you need to appoint a new king. And in due time, that person's going to take over for King Saul. So he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And in the house of Jesse, there's a bunch of brothers. And out of Jesse's family, I want you to, to anoint and pick a king, the next king of Israel. And King Samuel, or the prophet Samuel says, really? I mean, Saul's still alive. If he hears I'm doing this, my life could be in danger. God says, no, I promise you. I got your back on this. Go ahead and do that. So he goes to Jesse's house and he checks out this. Check this out for Samuel. He's talking about it. says, and Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these guys. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? He says, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. The youngest ones always get the what? The leftover jobs, don't they? As the youngest in my family, I can attest to that, okay? They were out tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and a handsome features. Then the Lord said to Samuel, said this, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went away. What happened here? <clears throat> Samuel says, I'm going to go to this house of Jesse and I'm going to pick the next king. I'm sure if I was one of those brothers and I heard the prophet Samuel's coming, I'm going to get ready for this interview. Because guess what? He's going to pick the next king. I could be the next king. I'm sure those seven brothers thought, especially the oldest one thought, it has to be me. I'm the oldest. I'm the one in line. It's going to be coming to me. And so I'm sure they sharpened their resumes. I'm sure they had some tutoring done with how to do job interviews or how to get to be king. And I'm sure they got all dressed up. I'm sure they put on their best appearance. I'm sure they had the right attitude on. And they went before Samuel. And Samuel goes, nope, nope, no, 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 no. No. And I'm sure Jesse's going, well, those are my seven oldest sons. And he goes, There's, isn't there any? Yeah, David, but he's the runt. He's out in the fields, man. You really want to see him? Yeah, I want to see him. So David comes in and right away, God speaks to Sam and goes, he's the one. He's the one. And so right there, he anoints him. And he says, the power, what did he say? Powerfully, the anointing of God fell upon David to be the next king. Now, David was a teenager at that time. And so I'm sure he thought, well, all right, I'm going to be the next king. Let's go at it. What are we going to do? And so Jesse goes, all right, next assignment that you're going to do is you're going to go back out into the fields and you're going to tend the sheep. Yep. <laughs> Anointing God, the whole thing. I'm going to be king. Tend the sheep. He goes, yeah, there's still a lot more that I need to teach you and groom you and get you ready before you're going to take over the throne, before your promotion comes. How many know before that answer comes, before that miracle comes, before that bigger house comes or whatever's going to come in your life, how many know there's some growing in us that probably has to happen before the promotion? Amen? And so David goes, David goes man, I got to go out and I got 10 sheep again. And God's going to go do some lessons in your life. God's going to prepare you. And as he's preparing David to be the king, lessons he learned as a shepherd. And then not only that, as he became shepherd, then he had to go and he had to go through his Goliath's problems, big problems. 
And God sent him through that big problem, Goliath. And then Saul was chasing him as well to death. And he says, man, I thought I was going to be anointed as the next king. Now I've got to be content where I am, out tending the sheep. I'm sure day after day, night after night, he was thinking, but I was just anointed to be king. But you have me here at this place doing this menial task for what? How many of you, sometimes that's where you are in your life? You're not content. Until David understood how to be content tending the sheep, he didn't get a chance then to kill the Goliath. Didn't get a chance then 15, 20 years after he was anointed to be the king, he became king. What happened to David all along that way? I'm going to give you three things if you're taking notes. First thing is this. Bloom where you're planted. First thing, bloom where you're planted. Wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, be satisfied. Wherever you are in your condition you're at, learn how to be content regardless what is happening in your life. So you need to learn that principle. And so when we looked at that, that's the first thing that David did. He learned how to be content where he was. And God was working on him. God was challenging him. God was grooming him to be the king. Before the promotion came, the growth happened in his life. Before your promotion is going to come, guess what's going to happen? Growth is going to be there. Learn to be content. Second thing is this. If you don't learn to be content out in tending the sheep, doing all that work, guess what? Discontentment will follow you everywhere you go. If you don't learn how to grow then, God's, God's not going to promote you. God's not going to give you the answer to your learning, the lesson God has. And that lesson is what, regardless of where I am, I'm going to rest and trust in the Lord that God's got my back. He's going he's to take me and he's going to promote me in his timing and his place. How many have ever get, gotten ahead of God in anything? Am I the only one that's ever rushed ahead of God? I mean, I have done that time and time and time and time and time again. And so this discontentment has been part of my life everywhere I've been. In fact, when I was youth pastor, I don't know if you remember, if you're old enough to remember, the gospel singer Carmen. Anybody remember Carmen? Some of you do. Others of you, look it up. He was a gospel singer, very popular way back when Lincoln was president. I was a youth pastor. And so uh, way back then, and so in my first couple of years, and we had a, a, a church of about 800, but our youth group was about 200. And we started bringing in concerts in our local area, Harrisburg, our capital city, and they had a, an arena that sat about 2,000 people. And so we brought Carmen in, and he would come in for free concerts. And so promoted on the radios, and you didn't know how many were going to show up. So two years in a row, we brought them into the same place, the forum, and they filled up both, both times. So we thought, hey, let's do it a third year. And Carmen says, Bob, you want to do it again? I said, yeah, let's bring you in next year. And at that time, he was getting more and more popular on the radio, more radio play, and so he was getting more popular, and so all the Christian stations were carrying him. He was like the number one guy at the time. And so we said, let's go a bigger, bigger route. And so just like the Toyota Center would be downtown, we rent out Hershey Park Arena. Seats about 16,000 people. And so our little youth group rented out that arena to bring Carmen in for no tickets being sold, and you could come as will. And so I got there about 9.30 at the arena, and there was already about 2,000 people lined up to get in, and doors were only going to open about six. I thought, all right, we're in good shape. We're going we're gonna to fill this thing up. You know, I felt confident. We did all our work and did everything, and I got a chance to go backstage in the, the bus with Carmen. Now, if you know Carmen, he's very, I mean, charismatic when he's out, when he's doing this concert. Behind the stage, he was so quiet. He sat there for at least a half hour just looking at me. 
I'm talking to them, answering questions. Yep, mm-hmm, yep. So it got to the point, it says, well, the first group, the introductory group, they're going to sing. And as soon as they're done, uh, the lights are going to go out. And it goes, you follow a path up, and then you get to introduce me. I said, man, that's going to be great. Can't wait to do that. And Carmen and I are about the same height. And at that time, we both had dark hair. And we wore the same type of jacket with the mock sweater. Remember the little mock things that you used to have? To? Anyhow, look it up. And they had the little mock sweaters. And so Gary Oliver, he did his number, the opening act. And so he sang his deal. And of course, these people were waiting for hours to get in. And we packed it out. 20, about 16 to 20,000 people. They had it crammed in there. We turned away two, 3,000 people. And it was packed. And they were screaming, going crazy. Because all they saw was this silhouette of what they thought was Carmen coming to the mic. 20,000 people, 16,000, whatever it was. They were screaming, going crazy. And I come up to the mic and the lights were dimmed down and they couldn't really see. All of a sudden the lights come on, the fans were going crazy and everybody was going, oh. <laughs> Who's that guy, you know? Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hershey Park Arena. Here's Carmen. I got off the stage as fast as I possibly could. And so Carmen is doing his concert, you know, 20,000 people there. I'm going over to our little youth group area and sat next to Joyce. And I got my pad out and I'm writing all the things that we need to improve. Not enjoying a single thing that's taking place. Not enjoying that 16 to 20,000 people are getting blessed. Not enjoying the success that just took place. I'm writing notes and I'm going, I'm, oh, we got to do this. We got The discontentment was so deep in me. I was frustrated, unhappy, miserable. Not enjoying the moment that God blesses us with. Discontentment will follow you everywhere you go in every arena in your life, whether it's buying that new car or truck, in your job, in your marriage, everywhere you go. If you don't learn to be content, enjoy the process that God has you in, it will follow you. I remember right there in that moment, Joyce just smacked me and she goes, can't you just enjoy this for the moment? And it hit me. No. I haven't been able to enjoy anything. I haven't been able to enjoy a moment in my life because I'm always thinking about the next. I closed my book and I looked around all the people that were getting blessed. I looked at what God was doing. I said, God, help me to learn to be content so I can grow a little bit more in my faith, trusting in you a little bit more. Second point, if you don't learn contentment, it will follow you everywhere you go. Discontentment will be there. And the third thing is this, and I love it. It says this, being content, waiting, is really a posture of strength. Where do we find our strength? In the times when we're waiting on the Lord. Faith grows. You know, I talked about my cancer and what I had. And through the whole process last year, I wouldn't replace the faith that has grown in me. The waiting that has grown in me, the understanding of trusting in God that has grown in me, that's irreplaceable. Years ago, I wouldn't have been able to walk through what I walked through last year in the same condition with the same mindset. See, when we heard about the cancer last year, man, immediately, man, it got to a discontentment rose up inside of me. God, I got to have an answer. God, I can't go through this situation. And stress came upon me. In fact, Psalm says it this way in Psalm 37. He says, learn how to what? rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. How many of you, I lost you in that patient word? How, how many have a spouse or somebody you know that just needs this right here, all right? Just look straight ahead. Don't hit him with the elbows, all right? And wait patiently for him. Do not fret. That word fret means don't worry. So it says to rest. 
wait patiently, don't worry because of him who prospers his ways, because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, he says this to us. He says, you learn how to let rest. You learn how to be patient for me. You learn how to trust me. Don't worry. Last year at this time, all I was doing was worrying, anxiety, fretting all over. In fact, I remember I told you a story when I shared my testimony about this, that in the middle of the night, I would run out into the driveway. I was so anxious and felt the world was closing in. I thought I was fighting for my life. I said, I need to learn how to rest in the moment. Even when you get news of cancer, how do you rest waiting for the promise and trusting in God? God taught me that last year. God says, Bob, this has been a lifelong lesson. I'm going to teach you how to rest. I'm going to teach you how to wait. I'm going to teach you how to be patient. I'm going to teach you how to trust me, really, for all the things that you need in life. And I remember, man, when God and the Holy Spirit just fell upon me as I was praying and fighting for my life, and I remember the trust and the wait, and I remember that the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I felt like, God, I can't do anything about this anyhow. Only you can. And so here it is, God. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm not going to try to be, be impatient about this. I'm just going to rest in you. God, I trust you. You're my healer. You're my deliverer. You give me daily strength. Give me fortitude. God, that's who you are. And I came to a place last year, man, every day I wake up, I just got to say, thank you for my life. Thank you for life today. You know, as I took my walks every morning, I would just sit there and I'd just hear the birds chirping. Saw trees, saw things I never thought saw before because I saw it with fresh eyes, a restful eyes, a contentment that was in my spirit. I said, God, I'm just thankful for today. God, I'm thankful for life today. God, I'm thankful for what you've given me. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for a house. I'm thankful for my beautiful wife. I'm thankful. God, there's so many things I'm now beginning to just thank you for and rest in you for. God, thank you for your goodness. Maybe some of you are a little bit like me. Let's look at this verse in Philippians. He talks about being anxious. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. But in what? In every situation, regardless if it's your marriage, a job, or health, every situation, by prayer and petition, with, with what? With thanksgiving. Present it all to God. And the peace, what's going to happen? That discontentment goes, that trust in God comes in, and peace of God, which transcends all my understanding, it's going to guard my heart and my mind. Christ Jesus. Guys, when you learn how to trust God, you don't have to have it all. There's going to be a peace. There's going to be a contentment that comes into your life. And you've got to believe God for what God's going to do. And then in Timothy, it says this. When we add the growth that God's doing and trust in God, it says now with godliness, with what's growing in you, what David had to learn as was in tending the sheep was this godliness is growing in him. With that and contentment, it's great gain. So with godliness, growing in my walk with God, trusting him, learning how to be content, there's great gain in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives and our hearts. God, thank you for an amazing congregation. God, each one of them, situations in their life, maybe they're believing you for a miracle in their marriage or in their finances or in their job or in their health. God, let us learn how to be, be patient. Let us learn how to trust Let's learn how to wait in those moments for what you're going to do. God, our promotion is coming. We're believing you for it. And now as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you, maybe you walked in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
Or maybe it's been a long time since you've been to church. Maybe it's been a long time and you just want to come back to a relationship with Christ. And you just felt this morning, man, I want to know a God like that, Bob. I, just, I want to know God like you know God. I want to know God like many people in this auditorium have already accepted the Lord that way. Maybe today's your day. You say, man, today I want to surrender my heart to God. Maybe for the first time or maybe coming back to God. If that's you, just between me and you and God, just slip up your hand real high all over the auditorium. If that's you, say, God, I want to come to God. I want to have a relationship with God. Yeah, pal, in the front, down here. Yeah, ma'am, down here. Yep, in the back, in the middle there. See you, pal. Yeah, anybody else? Come on, just between us. Today's your day. That's why you came today. Not by chance, but God has you here to just hear that God loves you. God cares for you. God has, a, has an amazing plan for your life. Anyone else? Anyone else before we pray? Yeah. Thank you. See you, buddy. Come on, congregation. Let's pray this to, together with all those that raised their hands this morning. and Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. And I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, thank you, Jesus, for all those hands that were raised. God, just touch them in a special way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.